Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Information Playground. I'm Ron Bush. I'm your host and also underwriter. I own Ron Bush Consulting Incorporated. We underwrite the Information Playground. You're probably listening to us on WVLP. And if you're interested in uh, listening or in underwriting and working with WVLP, it's a great FM radio station located in Valparaiso, Indiana. Uh, if you're listening to us locally, it's probably 103.1 FM. Otherwise, you can stream us at WVLP.org. If you're interested in underwriting anything at the station or my show as well, please uh, uh, check out the website. Uh, you can send uh, um, an an email out to info at Geek Guy. I know we'd love to uh, work with you on that. You can also catch us on just about any podcast platform, at least all the ones that I'm aware of, uh, as well as YouTube, all under the name, The Information Playground. So that said, I'd like to introduce many of you, regular listeners will know Matthew Cloud very well, but Matthew, welcome. And uh, please tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ron. I uh, appreciate you having me back on here again. And um, I am the department chair for the School of IT at the Lake County campus. Um, I also get to wear a couple other hats uh, as vice chair for computer science for the state, as well as a new grant that we'll talk about more today on the uh, National Security Agency grant. I'm the associate director of the consortium for that grant. Well, great. Well, let's be sure and talk about that. And this is all for Ivy Tech. So I don't know if I got that out or you got that out, but Ivy Tech is the largest community college, I believe in the country. Um, it's um, used to know 30, 50,000 students or something like that. Um, all that said, um, you got some great news that uh, affects Ivy Tech as well as some other uh, educational institutions. Let's start there. Yes, Ron. Uh, so we are a sub-awardee of Purdue Northwest, meaning Purdue Northwest University was the, or I should say Purdue University Northwest, was the main awardee of a $6 million grant from the National Security Agency uh, to do advanced cybersecurity training. Um, other sub-awardees are the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And so we banded together to help create a curricula that, um, or three different sets of curricula, I should say, to uh, help what the National Security Agency has been asking for for a number of years uh, to meet the needs of the cybersecurity workforce. And, and you may be more aware of what's happening uh, of that than I am, but um, that gap in employment from what we're supplying to what we need is, is a huge, huge gap. So when I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, there was 527,000 jobs open that were not being fulfilled, that we didn't have anybody to fill the jobs for um, in cybersecurity. And in our meeting about a week ago with the National Security Agency, uh, we understand that at this point, we have about 100,000 people in the pipeline. So it doesn't take high level math to understand we're way behind what we need and filling those jobs. And, but about five years ago, we only had about 10,000 people in the pipeline. So it's, it's been a tremendous increase, a lot of people there uh, that, are, that are coming into it, but we need to do more. So- well said. Now, folks yeah. that have been listening to me for a few years would have heard that speech 
uh, about needing to do more many, many, many times. Uh, I go back, it seemed now as I think back, I was probably harping about it. Uh, how badly we needed education. At that time, we were talking about future three to three and a half million positions going wanting, that's on, on a global scale. And now we're at those years where we talked about those shortages, and here we are. You're talking about U.S., I think, uh, positions. Correct. That's, that's across the United States. In, in Indiana, we have a, about 6,000 open positions. Yeah. But you, you could work anywhere in the United States, and that's one of the beautiful things about living in Indiana, or in your case in Arizona now, and back and forth between Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. You can do this stuff anywhere in the nation. And so you don't have to live in the San Francisco Bay Area yet support those companies. That's right. As a matter of fact, I just saw on the news, I think this morning, that Hawaii is actively soliciting people who work remote. They don't want you to come mm -hmm. there and work. They want you to come there and live and pay taxes and work remotely somewhere else. Uh, yeah, that's true. Vermont was doing that. Um, uh, they filled it out actually earlier in January. Um, Come move to Vermont, and they'll pay you ten thousand dollars to work remotely. Yeah, given that we're we're in uh, December, we're recording this in December. I think I would choose Hawaii over Vermont, but that's okay. <laughs> Just me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, hear you. I, I love where this is going. So we're actually actually ramping things up. We're providing the people that we need uh, to to be providing. Um, this is what I've always loved about Ivy Tech. You guys have taken, I thought, and still do the forefront on this. You've, you've just kind of led the way. Purdue's had uh, activity, at least as Indiana goes. And, uh, Purdue has had some, some great effort here. Um, I'm not real familiar with anyone else taking the lead except for Ivy Tech. And, uh, and I love it that you guys are, are getting a, a good portion of this grant. You're sharing it with Purdue and you're sharing it with the other two schools. I forget, one's in Tennessee and don't remember the other one. So the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga and um, the University of North Carolina, Charlotte are That's other right. two partners with that, right? And so that actually came about, uh, the way grants work are everybody's working towards getting something um, that the local industry needs. And then you have a very short time period to do it. In this case, we had a two-week time period to apply. I said, here it is. If you want $6 million, you have to have your, your work in in two weeks. Yeah. Well, thankfully, thankfully, we already had a great group of people from the governor's office to local support working towards this effort already. Right. We knew nothing about the NSA grant. It just happened to be a, a good good correlation between what we're trying to do and what the NSA is trying to do. So starting, gosh, I've been with Ivy Tech now officially in January, it'll be six years. And about a year into it, the, the Northwest Indiana Information Security Sharing Alliance asked me for help on how can we find grant funding to help those frontline responders? Uh, not so much with the EMT and fire and police work itself, but adding in the cybersecurity to that mix. So we can have a combined training center. And so NISA's really worked hard on, on making that come to fruition. Um, and you know, this whole thing with COVID has actually highlighted why that's needed. Right? We need that coordinated response from the local to the federal level. So 
the nice thing was when COVID hit, that group was already working together. Cybersecurity leads the way with FEMA um, and how that stuff is coordinated. So that group was doing really well there, but we still didn't have the cybersecurity skills needed at the law enforcement levels or even the district attorneys from, from different counties have been asking for help. And we've been working towards those, those lines. Well, about three years ago, um, uh, I and several of our faculty members are on the, the governor's executive council for cyber, cybersecurity. And I happen to be on a subcommittee for banking and finance. Mm -hmm. um, and so Owen Lachat was running that subcommittee at the time, working for um, a bank out of, out of Muncie. And so that, that bank funded uh, a training program on the, the CompTIA A-plus type materials. In Cisco, it's called IT Essentials. We're mm -hmm. using the Cisco materials that they provided for free. Um, the, um, not only that, but also the Cisco Cyber Ops and an intro to networking course. All right, so those things were all included in there. The materials were provided by Cisco. The uh, banks, mutual bank, um, I'm trying to think of the name that they've, they've just changed names they required, so I don't want to mispronounce it. But the uh, bank provided the funding for that, um, which paid for the instructors. The instructors were paid well. That's, you know, that's part of our issue. We're a community college, having instructors that are paid well, that we, we have all this great professional development, but finding ways to keep them there. This is one area where the banks are helping us do that, right? And the governor's office. And so that went really well. And so last uh, spring, when this national security agency grant application came up, we said, hey, we've already got the basis. And the banks and the other groups were asking for how do we go into three more areas? We want three more tracks. Okay. So um, the National Security Agency also wanted people to go into teaching in short format, certificate format for workforce. How do we you know, increase our workforce um, into artificial intelligence and quantum computing? Like, okay, how many people have access to quantum computing resources? <laughs> right? Not too many that I know. Not too many, right. Yeah, it is pretty limited. And AI, I've been teaching artificial intelligence um, lab work inside of our business intelligence courses and some other work uh, for about two years. I had students that wanted to get deeper into hands-on practical exercises. Mm -hmm. um, and so I threw some stuff in from Oracle and some stuff in from AWS. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it really didn't work at all. Uh -huh. <laughs> and and the, the barriers to that success were really, uh, did they have sufficient equipment for them to work with? And so a lot of these labs to, to do that type of work, you need a, a more powerful system, 16 gigabytes of RAM, a couple gigabytes of hard drive space free uh, for you to store and work with the data and analyze it. Mm -hmm. Well, most people don't have that. They fill it up with songs and pictures and, and whatever, right? And you just don't have that kind of setup, more, nor a processor that can really handle that stuff without waiting for a week for it to analyze something. Right. So I had students that were waiting. Some of the stuff we tried, they were sitting there for an hour. Thankfully, I can talk for a while. <laughs> they there waiting for an hour for their machine, their, their virtual machine to start up, uh -huh. right? And, and then they could get going and, and they could see and they're like, okay, I need to go spend 50 bucks to go get more RAM. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Um, we at Ivy Tech, though, have the systems in place. And one of the nice things from, from COVID is we've been able to put more resources around this type of activity so that students can work with our labs as if they were on campus. And all you need is a web browser. So you could use a 12-year-old computer as long as it's working and has a, can update to a, a relatively new web browser. You can get in there and work with our equipment that has all the resources that you need. And it's safe because it's it's sandbox where other people can't mess with it. Yeah. The worst case scenario is we restart the computer and the computers are already set to go back from where they started. Now I'm going right. to stop you for just yeah. a minute to explain because sure. not all yeah. our listeners are going to know what sandbox means. They're going to think right. of the thing out in the playground and that's not at all what you mean. I don't know. It's a lot of fun like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot more fun than getting sand in my pants anymore, right? I don't like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that you have a safe environment that you don't have to worry about messing up. And if you're working with, you know, cybersecurity and you're working with a malicious virus and you want students to be able to actually do that, you need to have it in an environment that you don't have to worry about it getting out there to the rest of the world. Right. So exactly. So the point I wanted to, to get across to the listeners is now you've provided that for the students. They don't have to, to worry about, A, using their own equipment, upgrading it so they can actually use it, and right. then worry about getting malware on their systems. They can use the school stuff. Well, not only that, I, when, when students say they want to do it at home, I'm like, please don't. No, <laughs> because I don't want you playing around with a malicious tool and it gets out there on the internet. Next thing we know, we have bad press out there. I don't, I don't need that for them or anyone else, right? Right, right. Plus, what the potential cost of business could be. So it's, there is a, a liability there, and and why we we've, we've done it that way to make sure that we're keeping people safe while we're teaching about security. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. important. Now you've worked with the governor's office. I love this. Several things that I love about Ivy Tech. One is that you you communicate with business leaders, with government leaders, local leaders. other educational it amazes me i think higher education is getting better at that but I, we've been through a time that it was more like field of dreams build it and we'll come or create the the degree and they'll they'll come well it doesn't always work that way well you know that that's a really good point and that's why the nsa wanted this to be towards apprenticeships mm -hmm. and uh four-year colleges universities are not really in tune with creating apprenticeships from you know, in a normal way of working. They're trying to, to drive research, create some new ideas. They might build new companies. I mean, they, they have a great uh, deal of work that, that, that's, that's much needed, but trying to get that out there to the masses in a way that works in a technical perspective, that, that becomes difficult. The, the National Science Foundation, we had a a conference with them on what's called the ATE, Advanced Technological Education, geared around community colleges and that concept. And in that, um, the, the keynote speaker was saying by 2025, 98 million jobs will be replaced by AI jobs, not AI robots, tools, blah, blah, blah. These are AI jobs. Now let's pause just a moment and explain to everybody AI, artificial intelligence, this is not the Will Smith iRobot we're talking about. Let's talk about, well, tell folks, well, maybe down the road, but not <laughs> today. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, to 
overstate that that uh, that's not a possibility. It is a possibility and something that we should make sure we uh, keep a good ethical hand on that we're doing that in the right way because things can be used in the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, just like anything, just water, nuclear power, and lots of things that, that, that can be used in the wrong way. This is a very dramatic tool, particularly starting since this uh, past summer. Where I mentioned before, when I tried it over the past couple of years, it really just was not it was kind of off and on. Did they have enough resources? But not only that, there's a lot of things that are interconnected to make artificial intelligence work well. Mm -hmm. And there's there's general AI when you think about someone uh, creating a, a sentient being, which is not really the focus of most people in AI. Right. Um, it, it's more around what we call machine learning. And machine learning, if you if you looked at it eight to ten years ago, was often called data mining or even business intelligence. Yes. And so those those concepts have come together so that we're taking all these statistical methods that you had to have umpteen billion courses in math to understand. Right. And then another degree in another area so you could apply it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that's great, but it doesn't really learn from itself. So we're taking those things and moving it into a way we, we think about um, reinforcement learning. And, and deep learning and, and, and neural networks and those kind of things, we're teaching these machines to learn like a human does. Yes. Now, that feels kind of maybe icky <laughs> for, <laughs> for some people, right? <laughs> that's, that's kind of a, a little uncomfortable because like, okay, you're teaching a, it to become a robot like Will Smith or something. And, uh -huh. and no, that's not really it. It's not like it's going to go off super intelligence and learn everything out there. Um, that's not likely anytime soon based upon the technology we have, right? That would take that's a quantum for the leap, next generation. Right? Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but it does get into quantum computing, right? So quantum computing, when we can think about uh, flipping a coin, I don't know, you can see that coin. I got coins sitting here in my car. Maybe there's a bigger one. Yeah, there, here's a quarter, right? So you flip a coin, you get a heads or tails. That's the only options normally. You think of on and off with computers, but what if it could land on its side? Or what if it could be all three at the same time, right? right? And that's what we're doing with quantum computing. It's, it's, it's going into multiple states simultaneously, which allows you to compute much more at the same time faster, right? That's, that's one way, yeah. right? And, and that's a limiting factor. How much can you compute at one time? And our computers have not advanced much in the last 10 years, quite honestly, unless you're talking about quantum computing, right? Yeah. Quantum computing has advanced quite a bit, but still there's a little over a dozen quantum computers out there right now. Mainly with IBM, Google's got one, maybe they got a couple more they're not telling us about, but there's not a lot out there for people to work with. Right. So um, the concepts, are pretty, I, I think are actually pretty easy to understand. When you think of quantum, and quanta is just quantity. Can you count how many? Mm -hmm. And normally with physics, when you think about traditional physics with Newton and the apple falling on his head, all that math that you had to learn was about um, how to approximate all those photons. So if you have light, and we're talking about light moving through, there's millions of photons moving through every tenth of a second, right? That's what I calculate with a brain. But when I was doing brain imaging, 
uh, with that to calculate it. I was actually modeling the millions of photons because we had the processing power to do that. And so it wasn't quite quantum computing, but it was leaning into that. I was actually quantifying what was there as opposed to using an approximation. You need to stop and bring the listeners up to date. You you mentioned when I was doing brain imaging. Sure. I I don't want to sidetrack. We started out on the the NSA grant. I'll get us back there, but let's follow this on through. Yeah, so sure. Uh, I, I didn't want to go too deep into that, but I, I think it's it's fairly easy for people to understand when they shine a flashlight through their hand or through their, uh, you might put a flashlight in your mouth and you can see the light coming out, right? Neurosurgeons, when babies were born in the 50s and 60s, would actually take a, uh, uh, not necessarily neurosurgeons, but even just a physician would take a flashlight, put it up to the side of a baby's head, and they could actually see if the brain was there and looked uh, pretty good. You can actually see quite a bit through your body. Right. Well, I, I, I don't want to get too deep into the functional brain imaging side of it, but other than to say that in from 2008 to 2013, I was focused more on functional brain imaging using light, and that required um, gigabytes of data every five minutes on patients because we're modeling millions of photons going through the brain, and then we're seeing how well does it match that model. That model's based upon Monte Carlo algorithms, Monte Carlo algorithms that we used for nuclear power plants that were based upon Monte Carlo gambling theory. But it's a lot of math, right? Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of math. Took me five years okay, to figure that out, right? So, um, and that was with a lot of other knowledge in there. Now, my students can do that stuff. Now, they're not doing the Monte Carlo modeling because they don't have to. That, that computer will do it for them, right? right? With the AI tools. So they, you, they, they can do it, no programming knowledge needed. Go ahead. When you, when you, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I get excited when we get in this area. So when you think about how far we've come and how fast we've come, I mean, right. it may not seem that fast to you because you're doing it, but it, I mean, most people still don't know what a quantum computer is. In quantum physics, they probably know what they've seen on the Big Bang Theory and that's it. Uh, you know, that's, it, they, they just, we haven't gotten there for the masses, for everybody to no. know what we're talking about. But yet we've got, and you and I have talked about this before, we've got edge computing, we've got right. 5G, we've got, of course, all you're talking about here with artificial intelligence now in the next three to five years, and, and some are saying less than that, uh, you're going to be seeing not just driverless cars, which actually you can see in I mean, they're testing it in Manhattan now that I saw where they just got a contract uh, with the uh, state of New York to test in Manhattan. They've been testing in San Francisco. Um, They've been testing, of course, in Arizona and other parts of the country. So we're not that far from it, but flying cars as well. People that grew up watching the Jetsons may actually uh, be around to partake in some of that. Um, It just amazes me where we truly are. We're on the on the, the cusp or the precipice, if you will. Precipice implies that you're going getting ready to fall off or be pushed or jump. I don't want to say it that way, but we're right at the edge of opening it just everything. It, it just amazes me. And of course you and I both are concerned with cybersecurity. So as all all the stuff the good guys have going for them, uh, the bad guys enter the, the field as well. So right. Um, I'm going to give us uh, 
10 more minutes <laughs> or five more minutes and then we'll take a break. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. And then when we come back after the break, we'll head back to the grant and finish up there. Sure. Yeah. So AI is present in everything. I'm, I'm not going to mention any particular companies, but I had actually presented the idea that we should move to an AI degree. Yeah. Right. Because it's going to take a while to get everything in place. It's not going to happen overnight. Creating a degree takes a couple of years yeah. to get through all of the bureaucracy. Um, we have a new cloud foundation, uh, cloud technology degree that will start next fall. I hope it will get through all the barriers by then, but we've been working on that for years and we teach cloud and, and, and all these different classes. We're using AWS and Oracle and other aspects of that to make that work. Um, AI, people are using it all the time and they don't realize it. They may have Siri on their phone. They may have something in their car. I have both and they like to compete with each other from time to time. Uh -huh. <laughs> I've got, um, because I'm getting more into AI, I finally automated some of my house just for the lights. I like it for the lights uh -huh. um, to turn them all off and on at night. I don't have to go around the house. Now I just say good night <laughs> and it's all done. Right. Uh -huh. And my kids are having fun because we're a family of eight and they're like, turn the lights blue. No, turn the lights green. Right. <laughs> so we stuff they're, they're competing with each other, but there's still problems. Like I have, I have twins uh -huh. and the first twin, um, uh, it did voice recognition for her. And the second one, it keeps thinking that it was the first twin. <laughs> so she's like, I'm sorry, we've already done voice recognition for you. What are you talking about? Right? <laughs> and, and I have a son named Volker and it, it keeps insisting his name is Polka. So, Which I'm sure infuriates him as well as your second oh, yeah. twin, or twin, I mean. Yeah, well, my, my kids are, my other kids are really enjoying that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, and it goes to bias, right? That, that's a, that's a traditional German name, but it's not very common in the U S right. right. Unless you're involved in the, the treasury. Um, so, <laughs> right. yeah, but, but he, um, so we've got these things with AI and making it work, not just from a technical perspective, but also a practical, and then making that work for the masses right. is a lengthy process that we've all been a part of in helping to actually make better. We're teaching the computers to work better when we talk about um, those CAPTCHAs that you see, are you really a person, not a robot? That's actually teaching the robot to be a better person, yeah. right? So, so it's, it's an interesting, uh, mix as to what happens there, but all these things, if you've, if you've worked with any sort of AI devices, know that there's a lot of limitations. Yeah. Well, right? so I, I was just thinking when you were talking a minute ago, uh, yep. you know, you've got, I, you and, well, I won't speak for you, but I'm, I'm on with what I do with different companies all day long, I'm on the phone with them or I'm usually online and I'm often dealing with a bot. Sometimes I can tell, sometimes I'm not so sure. Uh, it's just, you don't know. Uh, I think we're going that way. Uh, you mentioned uh, Siri, but everybody has uh, translators on their phone now. They have uh, GPS on their phones. You know, you talk to Siri. I don't want to get mine excited here, but, right. <laughs> but, but you talk to the phone and you tell it where you want to go. 
and it switches to the appropriate GPS uh, app. And, th and then it tells you when you're gonna turn and how far it is. It can tell you where the gas stations are and when they're coming up and when you need to stop for gas. I mean, it's amazing what we have uh, just going for us. And, and it's in everyday life and most of us don't think about it. We just use it. It is, and, and when we look at where it could go, so like the Tesla, I love riding around a Tesla. That's, that's uh, I'm a, I like General Motors and Ford, I mean, that's, that's what we have. But at some point I do hope to get myself a Tesla because I love the extra tools that it has there. Yeah. Now it can drive itself, but that doesn't mean it should drive itself in general, in general circumstances. I got to test drive one out there in, in San Francisco where there's fog and those kind of things. Well, it's got radar. It's like you're driving a, a, a little flying car uh -huh. um, because you've got six radar around you to let you know if there's people coming in your lane or you're getting out of the lane or if the lane has changed. So it's it's really, it works really well out there. Now, would that work as well out in a mountainous region like Vermont that we mentioned earlier or West Virginia or these mountainous regions? Probably not, right? But at some point we'll get there. Um, it just needs more information to know what's happening. And in the meantime, if you are driving, what I liked about it, it's giving you feedback. So if you play video games, uh, a lot of video games for the past 15 years or so have got uh, feedback, actually probably longer than that, feedback in the device to let you know if you're like running into a wall or you get hit or whatever. Well, it's got feedback in the, the sensors there to let you know. If your head tips back and thinks, oh, are you awake, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's got, you know, even a heart sensor on, on the hand grip. So if something's looking funny there, it'll, it'll, it could alert you. You could even set it up potentially to alert authorities if something happens with your heart rate that seems truly abnormal, right? Mm -hmm. All that's built in for your extra safety. It's not taking the control away from you. In fact, it's just giving you more senses. So it's extrasensory perception in a way <laughs> that you wouldn't have, right? Not ESP from, you know, the traditional sense of it, but these are, I mean, you don't have radar. We're not bats, right? but now you do through this car. You don't even have to look in the screen. You can feel it from the car. There's right? so much about the present bleeding into the future that is exciting. And there's other parts mm -hmm. of it's kind of scary at the same time. I want to take a uh, right. quick break and we'll come back to the grants um, or to the grant. So folks, you're listening to the, uh, the information playground. I'm Ron Bush. I own Ron Bush Consulting. We're a cybersecurity company. Uh, we help train employees, uh, write policies. Uh, we help you stay secure. No one can be hack proof, but we help companies and guide companies to be as protected as they can be. We also underwrite this program, the Information Playground. If you're listening to us on WVLP, you could be listening to us locally at 103.1 or WVLP.org. I hope you're streaming us on WVLP.org. And I hope you go to the website and take a look at it. They're a great radio station. They're a, a, a community radio station. They do a lot in the community. And you can be involved and do things in the community as well. So you can also catch us on any of the podcast platforms under the Information Playground or watch the video. Uh, the handsome looking Matthew Cloud today, and I'm in a sweater. So that's about it. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube under the Information Playground. So that said, 
Um, I want to thank you for being with us. Our guest is Matthew Cloud. And Matthew, we have been talking, Matthew's the IT director for the Lake, uh, Lake County campus, Ivy Tech. Um, we started out talking about the NSA grant, and as you and I are, are prone to do, uh, we've kind of walked around a little bit. Let's come back to that, uh, that grant that you've got. Um, I know there are three different uh, areas that you're involved with, and I remember, uh, let's start with forensics. That's the first area we've talked about. Sure. Um, just before we get into that, one of the things I, I do want to mention, maybe we'll come back to it at the end, is that this is free for law enforcement, military veterans, oh, great. and other underrepresented minorities. So those first two are, of course, not underrepresented minorities, but those first two must be 75% of the 425 participants. So most of them are going there, but we also set a goal of at least 25% uh, being from underrepresented minorities. And we're providing the, the equipment to them. So if they don't have the laptop they need, they'll have one on loan. It is a limited enrollment program as opposed to our normal programs at Ivy Tech where just anybody can join in. Um, but if you qualify underneath one of those three categories and you're not ready for it, we're also putting in some remedial work so that you can join the next session. And these sessions are going on every 10 weeks over the course of, of June of 2021 through August 2022, we are uh, doing those those sessions starting every 10 weeks. Great. So lots of opportunity there for people. Um, and that first one, like, like you said there, forensics. Uh, forensics is, is a pretty traditional forensics track from our standpoint at Ivy Tech. Um, but what we're doing is adding some, some more courses from Purdue Northwest. Um, forensics is first. Did we lose you there? Uh, you froze, or I did. I think it was you. <laughs> okay. Where you know, I, I have to. I wish I'd thought to look at the uh, at the down areas. You you can go to different for the listeners. You can go to different areas, uh, different websites, and see areas that are down. I don't know if we're having trouble today or not somewhere, but um, I don't know. We're Hard recording this now, so hopefully we get through it. Got to do what we can do. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So the, I was just going to ask you to explain right. explain what forensics are and and then go into that. Sure. So we're we're gearing it around uh, an EC Council Forensics uh, certification. So they're certified um, hacking forensics investigator or CHFI, and the thought there mm -hmm. is looking at what happens after the fact but it can also be done um, in a live environment. So kind of what we're doing with these, these uh, tracks are we're looking at as well, not just when the, within the tracks of the NSA, but we've created some certificate programs, four credit certificate programs at Ivy Tech that these align into as well. So there's a, an offensive track, so cybersecurity offense, a defensive track, and then uh, more in the AI side, as well as a cybercrime. Mention, uh, so that we can actually pull in criminal justice and cybersecurity together. So there's there's four tracks of certificates on the four credit side inside of these three tracks in the NSA. So they're a little bit intermingled, but I wanted to mention those because um, you can think about forensics from what's, hap what's happened after the fact. And you think about medical forensics, if you watch those kind of shows on TV, 
but this is getting down to the digital level. What What is happening on your desktop and server devices? So we have a course focused around that and, and there's the um, a data expert. So we have the ACE uh, certification that it's looking to make sure that your data is secure, that you're uh, like things for uh, what's going on. And I don't want to get into politics, but it is a, a topic that's going on is are those uh, ballots being hacked or not, right? So that's that's part of what forensics investigation is from a digital perspective. And so there are people that have tipped their hat into that area to look at what's happening with the ballot boxes, but we also do that even beforehand um, to make sure you have a strong defense. So there's a uh, subcommittee from the governor's office on uh, just making sure the elections process is working properly. So that's one of the things, again, I love about Indiana is that we've got the universities, Ivy Tech is involved with that as well, and businesses all working with our, our government to make sure that it is a, as secure as it possibly could be. And if something happens, we're already working together to make sure we can find what's happened. So that's, that's really helping to limit those, those possibilities. And that's what forensics is really focusing on there for us, okay? So that, that was probably the easiest. If, if they've been listening to your program, I would, I would think that would be uh, something familiar. And what we've done at, at Ivy Tech on the four credit side, that certificate, well, there's two possibilities there, right? The certificate called um, Cybersecurity Incident Analyst. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a new certificate starting next fall. It's, uh, it's a modification of some that we've had over the years. And after five years, our certificates kind of had to revamp them completely again because the industry changes so much. Right. Um, the other one is the Cybercrime Certificate Program where it's half IT, half uh, criminal justice. And you could take a traditional forensics course from a, a criminal uh, justice side as well as a digital forensics. So that's really geared to help those law enforcement agencies. Gosh, I love it. That's great. So that's the uh, forensics track. You've got IoT yep. and AI. Now, IoT is Internet of Things, AI, artificial intelligence, as we've mentioned already. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so we've tied those two together in the AI track for a couple of reasons. One, when we did the, the uh, two-week, hey, we're going to apply for this NSA grant, there's other institutions that we're looking for people to collaborate with. And so two of those institutions that were new to us, being the University of Tennessee and the University of North Carolina, have um, uh, two experts in different areas. At the University of North Carolina, we have Farina Saqib, who is um, a professor there that focuses on IoT and even um, not just cybersecurity from a, a, a digital perspective, but even physical EMP attacks. So if somebody do, doesn't... Uh, a high-powered magnetic pulse, right? Uh, which we even test on our, our systems here because that can affect the internet quality. Those are things that people can do um, and even destroy hard drives and other things. How do we detect those types of issues even with our cell phone devices or other small devices? Mm -hmm. So IoT security is where we're focused on that. We've had an IoT course, the internet of things, how do you work with Raspberry Pis and and other devices, but there's other companies, um, like in Indianapolis, we have Rolls-Royce, who makes these great engines for our warplanes, mm -hmm. and all of those 
components on there have computers. So a lot of people have, most people have a car these days, not everybody, but most people are at least familiar with the fact that there's computers in our cars now, not usually just one. In fact, we have more than one, smaller versions. And so those things that are connected to each other and often to the internet, because if you've bought a car since probably 2013 or 14, it is connected through some sort of service, whether you can turn it on or off, it's available, mm -hmm. right? And so even if it's not officially connected to the internet, that's still a point of attack, right? right? And that could be a point of attack through their car to your cell phone if your cell phone's connected to it. And they can, can connect to it through Bluetooth or lots of different things. So how do we have all these interconnected devices uh, and make sure that we're maintaining proper security? When you have uh, a major corporation and people are bringing devices in, at one point they could keep that to a minimum. But now there's so many devices, there's no way to stop it. And that's where some of these major companies, when we were talking about building an AI degree, said, oh, we don't use artificial intelligence at our company. I'm like, they may need to look for a different chief executive. Yeah. Because uh, I guarantee you any major corporations are using AI. They just may not be aware of it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so a couple, couple of things for the listeners before we go too far. You mentioned EMP, electromagnetic pulse. Um, yep. We've known about that since the 60s. The scientists first sure. recognized solar flares had an effect on signal. Um, and since, to the best of my knowledge, we have no, we have nothing uh, in place from a governmental uh, uh, protection type thing. I, I know they argued about it in Congress for decades i don't if they ever reached any kind of uh, agreement on anything i'm unaware of it. so internet of things is your before you respond to that internet of things is uh your uh as you talked about cars uh and as time goes by you mentioned the tesla as things go by there's more and more computers on cars emp would definitely affect those uh, but you also mentioned internet of things and that's all not only cars but it's also uh, smart thermostats. You mentioned smart uh, lights, uh, where you tell the house, uh, you know, uh, make the make the light green, make it blue, whatever, uh, or turn it right. off, or you say good night. All of that's Internet of Things. So, and you've got artificial intelligence wrapped in. It's kind of the driving, maybe the driving force behind all of this, uh, or underneath all of this. I'm not sure how to express that. So you were going to sure. uh, add something to the EMP before we go to to cloud uh, infrastructure. Yeah, so e even from your, your household, if you have intelligence that somebody else wants, whether it's your bank account, which could be anybody, mm -hmm. to anything else, how, wherever you might have that stored, any device that's connected to the internet that isn't properly secured um, could have access to those other things. So there are some things even in your home where you can subdivide your network. Um, I have, AT&T at home, and now I have profiles I can put my devices on. Mm -hmm. So I have certain devices that have access during certain hours. I use that for my kids. So entertainment devices can't come on until after four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and, and other things that are connected in there have what they need have access to. And if there's a problem, I just pull up an app and, and turn it off, yeah. right? It, that, that group or that individual device I now have an application I can turn it off locally, which is, that's, that's pretty new. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to, to 
promote AT&T in particular, but thank you for that, AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've been a sponsor of us at our campus, so I, that, that's, I, I can tout their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring up an excellent point. And, and going back to the driverless cars all the way to, to your smart homes, um, you've now created a, a, uh, an attack surface that is much greater than, than most people have ever even considered. Uh, right. this, this, I won't say it's an invitation, but it, it does make attacks far more likely. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we've mentioned the, the term, we've used the term the masses many times. The average Joe just doesn't know this stuff. He knows a lot right. of other things, but he doesn't know this stuff. I, I wish, you know, we're not going to solve this today, and I know you'd love to, but I'd love to get people to go in and just take remedial courses where they can come up to speed so they at least know how to protect themselves at home. And, and that's exactly the kind of thought here behind the, this grant is we have, um, so one is we've got that, that huge need to fill these jobs. But we also need to make sure it's successful for those that may not have any IT experience. Right. It's fairly safe to say that most law enforcement officers don't have any more IT experience than anybody else. Yeah. Right. And so when we're building this out, we're building in remedial work so that we're doing a pre-test and a post-test to see their knowledge, what they've learned over it. Uh, but, but also from us, from a research perspective, are we doing the right thing? Are we teaching them what we expect them to learn? Are we teaching them what the NSA expects them to learn, yeah. right? So um, as we build towards these national competencies, we have to have some way to assess that. Now, we're not teaching to a test. We're creating the test, right? right? This, is, this is being built between us and industry and, uh, and the government working together to see how do we get to where we know that it's being asked for from industry. How do we move there? So I'm totally going off a different train of thought from that, <laughs> where, we, where you were asking. But yeah, so the um, the idea is getting it so that everybody can get those courses that they need, right? And, and we've had courses that we've thrown in, in the beginning of our programs that, that um, require students to take maybe three or six hours of courses that Maybe they know it, maybe they don't, but when we have 30% of our students coming in from high school that don't have the life experiences that a 40 year old or older might have, mm -hmm. then um, we need to make sure they take those courses. So we're creating this, it, it'll help us even just in a general sense with our IT school, because now we'll have some assessments that could bypass courses, just like you're taking a math or an English course. And while a lot of the stuff would have required a higher level math, like a computer science program requires calculus. We've adjusted some of that so that you only have to take the calculus course when you're actually using it for the course. Hmm. Um, finally, <laughs> but, <laughs> but most of our, our programs don't require that. Mm -hmm. our, our new data analytics program, it used to be called database management. Well, all that's become automated through AI. Right. <laughs> So now they're not doing the data administration, they're doing data analytics. That's where you can get the interesting information from uh -huh. um, so that you can predict where you wanna go with the future. Right. So now students can focus on that instead of the management side at a technician level. And that does require some statistics, but what I like to say is only enough statistics um, <laughs> so that 
can go order Greek food. That's all the Greek you need. Go order some Greek food. You're good, right? You knew that was coming, didn't you? <laughs> but that's been my mantra for the past couple months because it really doesn't require much more than a simple percentage. Can you figure out the tip on your bill? Okay. You're good, right? And even that you could get help with, but you have to understand how to understand just some simple probability and the computer does the rest of the work for you right. and you look at the models see does it work if if what you've trained on did it come back with a model you expected good then we move on if it didn't then we try a different model yeah. but you don't have to create the models so what it does do though is that some people want to say okay now i want to get in there and i want to build that model it's like some people like building cars i like tinkering with my car i don't like building cars right, right. so um <laughs> But um, so for those that want to get deeper into it, they can. And the, the tool sets that are out there now, they can, they can build um, an AI chat bot like you were talking about for responding to an order. We do this with pizza orders, uh-huh. creating it with text-based, but you can go to the text over to voice. It's just a simple link through the mm-hmm. cloud. And now in a few hours without any programming knowledge whatsoever, they've got an AI chat bot tool to respond to someone needing to order a pizza and it can follow a flow of how a normal conversation can go all over the place right we, we've talked about these certain ideas we wanted to discuss at the beginning of the program <laughs> and we've kind of gone all, all over but we still have a workflow that we're trying to come back to to make sure we cover certain areas that's and so right. that's what these ai chatbots do naturally but maybe you don't like the way it's doing it well now you can go deeper into those math uh-huh. courses and other areas that you could then develop a better tool for that because there's still going to be a need for that. But that's not where the 98 million jobs are coming from. That's coming from those people applying those tools as technicians. No longer having to do data entry, let it do the data entry and you can do the um, visualization. So like um, before I got into going full bore in IT, I was actually in radiation safety. And that was another kind of comment you had earlier about uh, some of this stuff. Uh, on EMP attacks. So mm-hmm. I worked at the University of Texas at Houston Health Science Center as an intern in my undergraduate uh, because I had this um, radiation safety background for my coursework, but I also had um, been programming since I was eight. So I tied those together mm-hmm. to create what I called a, a Scantron on, on, on steroids. Uh-huh. So there was a system called Teleform that they could write in their a- answers it would scan it in. Instead of having to do that data entry work, all they had to do was the visualization. So there was a little bit of, of machine learning in there that would read what they had and interpret it. And it was correct 90% of the time. So now they, they've sped the process up. Instead of the taking six weeks of data entry, it's done within an hour. So those are the kind of things that we're gonna be doing with AI. Uh-huh. Now, I mean, for me, it's frustrating because you're talking about speed. I've, I've been doing this for, 20 or five or more years, <laughs> but the tools were not broadly available. Now they are because of the cloud and that takes us to our other track. Thank you. So cloud infrastructure, that cloud infrastructure track is really about, um, and, and the reason we have three tracks is we, it's only six courses that people are taking through this grant. We want to keep it simple and clean, um, but it could branch into several different areas in um both in our certificates and our degrees, as well as degrees at other colleges. Mm -hmm. So the first three courses that are required are that A-plus course, hardware, software, like CompTIA A-plus, 
Security Plus, company of Security Plus, and uh, Cisco Cyber Ops Associate. So those three courses are required. They don't have to sit for those three exams. They could sit for any three of the certifications, and there's about 18 that we're looking at. Um, out of those six courses, there's 18 certifications. It's kind of crazy. But the um, uh, those three courses they have to take as a core basis, and that's a good, solid understanding, and that's what we learned working with banking and other types that had no other IT experience that wanted to know that because they wanted to do better policy management for their banking organizations and cybersecurity. They realized they needed those those basic skills. Well, now we move to the cloud infrastructure. Okay, I've got this stuff sitting here physically. What happens when I can't see it? Right. Right. And there's a lot of terminology that's coming out there. There's some good there's some good courses available from AWS, AWS Cloud Foundations. Um, we have an AWS Academy. We have a good course for that. Um, it took me about 20 hours to go through that course, but I've been doing cloud for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> considerably faster yeah. than uh, than most of us. AWS is Amazon yeah. Web Services. Yes, Amazon Web Services. Think of Amazon Alexa and other services that are tied behind. Um, uh, how all that stuff for Amazon, when you make your order, where all that's working, that's all going through Amazon Web Services or AWS. Right. And so, or, or it might be through Oracle Cloud, or it might be through Google Cloud or some combination. And so we're partnered with those organizations to help build more technicians for them. It's kind of where that started. Mm -hmm. They've even hired some of our faculty. <laughs> so that's, that's been good. Um, but now we want to get that out there for the masses. And so Mengjun Chi, Dr. Chi, out of uh, the University of Tennessee is focused on cloud infrastructure. We're also partnering with Red Hat. Red Hat has OpenShift and there's all these new terms coming out there, OpenShift, Kubernetes, Dockers, how does all that combine? I know we've talked about edge and cloud computing and how does that work mm -hmm. on, on prior programs. And you can learn, you can go back and listen to that in, in more detail. But the idea is how much computing space do you need at a minimum, yeah. right? Not everybody needs a physical device sitting there. Not everybody needs a server on the cloud. They may not even need a, just a full container. So a container has a, a parts of that service working, the minimal part of the operating system to run what you need. You can go to Lambda functions. Lambda functions, it's just a function. So uh, I don't know, it's 10 o'clock that day. Now we're going to spin off and have other things happen. We want to do our billing on the first of the month each month. So it spins off a process. Well, I don't need a computer. In the past, you'd have to have a computer sitting doing that, or at least a computer that is kind of dedicated to those services. Now it's just a function, right? And so we, we're able to virtualize things to a very simple level to the minimum of what you would need that now is more like how we work in, a, in our real lives, mm -hmm. right? They add all these fancy marketing names for different companies for kind of the same thing. And that's what the AWS Cloud Foundations, a lot of that is just learning their, their terminology. There's some good stuff in there as well, just to know about the cloud. Um, and so he's adding in where we've been in this mix is this Linux versus Windows. And your, your listeners, I would hope, would at least know Windows, but they may not know Linux. I would hope, but probably not. There's, I'm sure there's some, I've never heard of Linux. But Linux being that, that free operating system out there, one of the major uh, ones that's supported by industry is Red Hat. Mm -hmm. Red Hat was bought out by IBM. And it's a very high-end uh, Linux operating system that competes with Windows. 
there's others called CentOS, and Ubuntu, and uh, Kali is used in cybersecurity. So uh, a lot of tools that are using there for cybersecurity. Uh, but there's the administrative side of that, which is becoming more and more automated. Yet somebody still has to know how to go back to the basics. There's stuff, Windows where it's at today, I can still use the commands from 1995 right. with Windows NC 4.0. I can still use that stuff, even in the stuff today, and it will break everything that's there, right? If you know those that old stuff. Yeah. Right? And so... Um, it's important for people to understand how to work with that environment, even on the cloud, because they're using that on the cloud to managing these different services. How do you make sure that we still move that into a modern day where most people are not using a Windows server sitting, uh, like mine is sitting in the garage collecting dust, right? I do it all virtually now. Yeah. So uh, I yeah. want to catch listeners up on a couple of things. You've mentioned Linux. Linux is the third most popular operating system. You've got Windows, of course, is number one and still has the major part of market share. I, I'm sure it's around 50 some percent. Today, it was 52, 54 a couple of years ago when I, I checked on it. Uh, Apple is uh, uh, number two and they're not that far ahead of Linux. Um, in the last couple of years, maybe they've even uh, tied, but last time I checked, Apple was number two. Uh, your your Mac OS probably being the major force there, and then you've got Linux, which was uh, created by a guy named L Linus Torvald, if I remember correctly. I think he was a teenager, right. uh, brilliant guy. Um, it's open source, and so you've got all these different um, all these different brands of it. Red Hat is one of them. Um, you mentioned several of them a moment ago. You're much more familiar there. I live in a Windows world, so I, I kind of stay in my lane there. Um, but anyway, that for the listeners, that's, uh, that's what you were just talking about. We've got a few minutes. So as, as we are wont to do, uh, we tend to, uh, I, I, you know, I always worry, are we going to be able to fill up an hour? And then you and I start talking and Pretty soon the time has just flown and, and I've got to get, I've got to stop us. So uh, I regret that. I hope listeners have enjoyed this as much as I have. Final thoughts. Uh, we started with the grant. I'd kind of like to end there. Um, we've traveled around. Final thoughts on that. Uh, did we mention um, the work with uh, the governor in, in Indiana? You've done some things there. So students have a wide array of programs that they can get involved with at Ivy Tech and it won't cost any money out of their pocket. So maybe we could we could take the grant and finish up their form. Sure, yeah, I'll uh, mention a few places that students can go or people that are interested in getting this training for free, kind of tie that back together. Uh, so if you're wanting to start in January, you don't wanna wait till June and you don't already have a degree, there is the potential to get a grant from the governor's office through nextlevelsjobs.org. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not just Ivy Tech, but of course, Ivy Tech is going to have a better shot, right? So you can go to <laughs> Ivy Tech and um, you would apply both at the institution and through nextlevelsjobs.org. It's a simple, simple thing, maybe takes 10 minutes to do. Um, and it's a last dollar grant, meaning if you don't qualify for a Pell Grant or other grants or other scholarships, it will cover up to the, that first year of a technical certificate. So certificate programs and technical certificates are, are typically a year or less, right, for you to get. And so 
that grant is out there now right before uh, Thanksgiving, the governor opened up for a, a couple week window, I think it was maybe three weeks, where even if you had a degree, as long as you, if you become an unemployed, you could participate in that certificate uh, program. So we had a lot of people who signed up for our second eight weeks. And we have classes starting every eight weeks, basically, um, through that. Uh, well, just generally for our four credit. But that program is also available. I have a, a in Lake County, you can contact me at mcloud3 at ivytech.edu, and I can get you signed up for our non-credit program. That that one we start classes in um, every couple months, every about yeah about every two months. So it doesn't time if you missed our four credit, we have a non-credit that can get you in for some of those courses, um, and so that ties into the possibility. Who knows what's going to happen in the new year with with everything with COVID that may come up again. So even if you have a degree, so take a look at nextlevelljobs.org if you're an Indiana resident, right? So uh, beyond that, and if you're listening from Arizona or Colorado or wherever, right, we have this grant that starts up in, in um, June. So the first pilot will have 30 students go through as a pilot in June, then it widens up for the full population starting in August. Um, and that program, you have to be a law enforcement officer, a military veteran or active duty military. I've got someone signed up that's in uh, Afghanistan right now, actually. <laughs> She's taking a couple classes just to get her feet wet. Um, and so uh, that starts, like I said, in June. You can go to ivytech.edu slash CWCT. That's Certificate Workforce, I'm sorry, Cybersecurity Workforce Certificate Training. CWCT, so ivytech.edu slash CWCT. I just went live a couple days ago. The applications there, we'll be taking applications through at least April. Um, we'll probably stop applications at that point, but the program starts in June. And um, that's completely free for any of those groups. And if you're, if you're not in one of those uh, groups where you're a law enforcement or military veteran or other frontline responder, um, and you're an underrepresented minority, that we've also got that opened up there um, as, as a priority group to be able to get in. And that's completely free uh, for the full term of those six courses and up to three certifications. Excellent. So we, since we're just about out of time, I want to stress to the listeners and viewers, um, if, if you didn't finish college or you, it's time to re, retrain, reschool, uh, retool yourself, if you will, this is a great way to do it. Um, and I'd, I just, uh, I love the way Ivy Tech approaches this stuff. Matthew, I want to thank you for, uh, for being available and talking to us today. Uh, you mentioned your email a couple of times, probably the best way to catch you. It's uh, mc3 at ivytech.edu. Is that right? mcloud3, m-c-l-o-u-d-3. I'm glad. ivytech.edu. <laughs> yep. And I'm Ron at ronbushconsulting.com. Thank you everyone for listening to us and for watching us today. Um, check this stuff out. This, this isn't just the future. Um, those of us that grew up reading science fiction or watching science fiction movies, that stuff's here. It's time to get involved and, and be a part of it. And this is a great way to do it. Thank you, Matthew, for all you're doing and, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Ron, I appreciate it.